Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Hello, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 191. My guest for today's episode is Bill Springer. Bill is a writer and journalist who writes about super yachts and luxury travel and luxury lifestyles. It's not something that I'm really familiar with at all. A lot of the travel that we talk about here is, you know, pretty close to the bone. We talk about a lot of backpacking stuff in hostels. But Bill writes about these incredible vessels with uh, so many insane features. I mean, these super yachts, some of them have uh, their own submarines attached to them. Some are like floating beach parties. He posts these incredible pictures of these floating mansions at sea with um, built-in pools on them. A pool on the ocean. It's really incredible. And the best thing about his writing is that he doesn't really come from that world. And so he gets to talk about it with a sense of excitement. It all seems new and cool to him, even after doing it for so many years. So his writing is really cool and it's infectious and he's got an awesome personality. So he has his own company called Swizzle Media, but he also writes for Forbes magazine. So when you go to the show notes for this episode, I'll have links to that stuff so that you can see the articles that he writes. He also keeps his own blog on his website and he's got all sorts of cool stories. I mean, the pictures are insane. <laughs> I mean, he's talking about Jerry Jones's yacht, the, the owner of the Cowboys. There was a, a yacht off of the Croatian coast that Jay-Z and Beyonce were vacationing at. And I think that the upkeep of it cost $2 million a day, I believe I read. I mean, really crazy stuff. Um, but really cool and a topic I haven't really explored much. And it was cool to get you know, a peek into that world. And we do talk a little bit about how, if, if this all sounds cool and exciting to you, how maybe there is an entryway for you as an explorer and a worker and a traveler. Really awesome stuff. I had first learned about Billy because, what was it, maybe about a month ago, uh, my partner and I, we did a three, three, f- three, four day trip to Vermont. I have a friend in Vermont, and it's close enough to where we are in New York where you could make a weekend trip out of it. They've done a great job with contact tracing and keeping cases of uh, coronavirus transmission really low there. So even like movie theaters were open uh, and restaurants, and there was a lot to do. And it's a beautiful green state that turns multicolored when the fall hits. It's gorgeous. So we did hikes and stuff like that. I think I, I talked to you about the cheese, right? The cheese is amazing there. But our preferred method of lodging, right, when we're traveling around the States, is Airbnb. Unless we know someone in that area, and then there you go, free stay. But we've met all sorts of really cool people doing Airbnb. I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but uh, when we were in San Francisco, we had stayed with the mother of the gentleman who founded the couch surfing website. 
we were actually going to do an episode and it kind of fell through. But she worked in the home of a place uh, that was absolutely incredible. And the guy, I believe, uh, that she worked for worked in tech. Um, when I was in L.A. once, I stayed at a place where the guy writes speeches for politicians. I, Airbnb is great. Uh, you get to stay at really cool places and meet really cool people. And so we stayed at a farm for a night. And then we stayed at Bill's mother's house. And, you know, she talked him up and, and told me about all the cool things that he's doing. And I was like, oh, man, I got to talk to him. So obviously I'm not going to post where that location is. But if, if you're somebody that is interested in some cool Airbnb places and you want to ever reach out, just feel free to shoot me an email and I could uh, recommend some places that you will have uh, an enjoyable stay at and meet some cool people. But his mom was basically the, the conduit to this conversation taking place. And I'm so glad that we stayed there and that she connected <clears throat> She connected me with Bill. Because what a cool guy, doing really cool stuff. Excited to share these stories with you. So again, go to the show notes. As always, there's links to all of his stuff. Uh, it will keep you entertained for hours. Lots of really cool writing. And also there is a link to my Patreon account. You know what it is, but it's a subscription-based service where you give monthly and you get some cool kickbacks. I'm constantly sending out stickers. I do this thing where I, I write handwritten letters to, to people. Uh, sometimes they're solicited, sometimes they're not. Sometimes I just send them to like cool Lao restaurants or Indonesian-American associations in different states uh, or businesses that I've been to and, and didn't have any uh, like merch with me at the time that I now want to send stuff to. So, um, that's really been fun for me. But if you are a Patreon supporter, you get all that kind of stuff and the shirts and eventually when the world opens back up some cool things from around the world. So, uh, if not tell a friend about the episode, uh, lots of cool stuff in the past and lots of cool stuff coming up. So, all right, folks, I will stop blabbing. Enjoy this conversation with Bill Springer. Are you in the States right now? Yes, I'm in the States. I'm in Boston. I'm actually in Belmont, which is uh, a little town right next to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, cool. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in Norwell, which is about 45 minutes south on the coast in Massachusetts. like classic uh, kind of quaint New England preppy town on the coast. Okay, I got you. Now, to sort of like maybe like qualify this conversation, if I were to to ask you what it is that you do for a living, like the, the LinkedIn version of Bill, uh, how would you answer that? I write about super yachts and luxury travel and uh, luxury products. Is, is there a certain uh, specification that makes a yacht a super yacht? Uh, you know, everyone asks me that. Um, it's not set in stone, but uh, generally speaking, any yacht over 200 feet long is considered, a, you know, a super yacht. But I mean, if it's 180 foot long, you know, it's a, it's a super yacht. I mean, that sort of thing. I mean, but it's not an 80 foot yacht. It's not a hundred foot yacht. Those are big yachts, but they're not super yachts. Super yachts are in like the, you know, definitely over 150, closer to 200. And you'd be amazed uh, to learn that there are actually quite a few yachts over 200 feet long. 
Yeah, I, I would definitely be amazed to learn that. Um, yeah, this is. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, this is the boat show season now. I mean, COVID has uh, kind of put everything to sort of sleep, really. But um, usually, I'm at the Monaco Yacht Show. Monaco is generally the biggest yacht show in the world for these super yachts, and you'll see thirty or forty or fifty of these two hundred footers lined up next to each other. So what happens at a, at a yacht show? Are, are, are people able to, to go on the yachts or is it more of like a visual type of thing? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, like there's a, a yacht show going on right now, actually, in Fort Lauderdale, which is pretty much the first yacht show that's happened since COVID. Wow. Um, and I don't know how, I mean, how many people are there. I mean, you know, normally I'd be there, but I'm not. Um, so, but that kind of a show where you could go and look at a fishing boat or a you know, a boat that's in the 50, 60 foot range, you can go and go on all the boats. You could go on every boat that you wanted, if, if you wanted, if you had the time, because generally speaking, there's thousands of them, or at least hundreds, many hundreds of boats kind of all lined up. But something like uh, Monaco or um, some of the larger super yacht shows, you kind of have to have an invitation to go on the biggest yachts. Okay, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, now you, you um, have, but in my job, I'm lucky I get invited to all that stuff, which is kind of neat. It's like um, a wonderful uh, ability to get behind the velvet rope. Yeah, you have the type of job that is like the zero point zero point or point zero 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 one percent of people will ever have. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And I'll tell you, I mean, I uh, I went to college in Colorado, and I, I started uh, thought I didn't know what to do, and I figured I'd study journalism. And I took my first journalism course, and it was a five-in-the-person course. And the teacher in the front of this lecture hall said, look around. Um, only one of you will end up being a professional journalist just because it's such a competitive field and all this sort of thing. And I was guaranteed, I was convinced that it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> wow. Um, but, for, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of hard work, a little bit of right time, right place, um, I've ended up in that sort of role. Now, the, the t obviously, journalism could have taken you in many directions. Did your, um, your interest in traveling and in the ocean, did that come, come from an early age? Did that predate the interest in journalism? 100%, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, um, when I was really young, um, I had a little sailboat, like four or five years old, and I remember sailing it away from the beach where, we, where I was with my parents, and I scared the crap out of them. Um, I've always had that sort of love of the ocean and love of adventure and love of kind of g going off and doing stuff. Um, and then I just, I've, I always had that. And even when I got out of college, I, I still had that. And I, whether I was dumb enough or lucky enough or a little bit of both, I ended up um, going sailing after college um, instead of like getting an entry level job. I, I sailed from Newport, Rhode Island down to the Caribbean with the idea of um, working on yachts and seeing the world and meeting girls and, you know, kind of living this exciting life. And um, I ended up uh, not really getting any jobs and not having any money. And it was kind of a wonderfully tragic sort of story. Um, but it was exciting too, because and it was formative because I got all this experience sailing and I did have, I didn't study journalism, but I had an English writing background. Um, so, um, when I realized that, you know, I wasn't going to be making it as a, as a professional sailor, 
Uh, I ended up back in Boston and I ended up getting a job at Sale Magazine, an entry level job at Sale Magazine, which was a, you know, about a magazine about sailing. And um, that's kind of how I got started, you know. Billy, what what is a professional sailor? Because I've heard of okay. I've heard of Good like question. the sport of yachting, but what does that mean? Okay, so there's various tiers of professional sailor. There's uh, professional sailors like America's Cup, so that would be like the the NBA of sailing, the America's Cup. There's um, offshore races. There's races that um, professional sailors race around the world. There's the America's Cup, which is a more of a high profile Formula One type of event. And then there's various tiers of people who work on yachts that people charter. So all the super yachts that I write about, um, oftentimes, well, they all have pretty large professional crews, captains, engineers, um, stewardesses, deckhands. I mean, the amount of people that it takes to run a 150, 180-foot yacht, there's a lot of people involved. So they're all professional sailors, professional yachts people as well. And then there's Olympic sailors. There's, you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about it, but there is a, a very tiny little niche of professional sailors, I of see. which I never ended up becoming one. <laughs> and I guess they're, they're competing for, for speed, I guess? Well, yeah. So the, there's the, the, all the other racers, yes, they're competing for, um, you know, winning either long-distance races or races around preset race courses. Um, but the skills that are required to sail those boats at such high speeds and at such strict tolerances are um, so hard to come by um, oh. that it's, it's a pretty, it's kind of like the NBA or the NFL, you know, only the pinnacle of uh, people ended up actually becoming professionals and that's the same with sailing. I see. So then Bill, you went on to found your own sailing magazine, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did swizzle media and it wasn't just, it's not just sailing, but it, uh, I had the idea after, um, I, I was at sail magazine for a long time and I was at cruising world magazine. Both magazines were about sailboats and sailboats that, um, you know, gen- normal people can sort of own and operate like something your dentist would have, you know, a 50 or a 60 foot sailboat. Um, but, um, in the mid two thousands, I made a conscious decision to, um, pivot towards the larger super yachts. I had some connections in that, in that world and make that connection between yachts and luxury travel and luxury products, because from a lifestyle standpoint, you know, I mean, there was a lot of people writing about the technical aspects of yachts and technical aspects of super yachts. Um, and lots of people writing about kind of the luxury lifestyle, but, um, and I was kind of lucky and I was able to do this is that I was able to take my, I guess I could say my expertise and my knowledge and my experience within the yachting world and then meld that with the, the kind of the luxury uh, world of um, super yachts and, you know, all the luxury brands as well. So, yeah, there was like, that's kind of what I sort of started. So if somebody wanted, you know, access to this type of travel, um, I mean... Obviously, it's uh, a very small um, uh, group of people who can afford a super yacht, right? And the upkeep of that, you were talking about all of like the deckhands and everybody that goes into keeping um, everything. Yeah, these yachts cost millions of dollars yeah. <laughs> even just when they're parked at the dock. 
Wow. Okay. So it, let's say, you know, a lot of people who listen are, are backpackers and things like that. Yeah. If, if somebody wanted access to that world, maybe like the place to start is to do something like be a, a deckhand. Totally. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, the, so many of some of the most interesting people I know, um, are in the yachting industry and, and you really don't need to be a, a boating expert or, um, you know, particularly salty to get involved. Um, the thing that I've found from the people that have been most successful in getting involved with the yachting world, first of all, it's an amazing lifestyle because, um, all of, you know, let's say you want to get involved with the yachting, you can either do, you know, if you have some engine, you know, mechanical aptitude, you can get involved because these boats always need people that can fix stuff. And there's so many different things that need to be worked on, whether it's jet skis or outboards or you name it, there's always going to be something to fix on a yacht. So if you have any uh, mechanical aptitude, um, yachting can be a pretty neat um, career path, you know, particularly if you have like an adventurous spirit. Um, Same with um, becoming a deckhand, you know, if you want to, kind of learn the ropes on how to operate the boats and, you know, eventually work your way up um, starting as the deckhand where you're basically driving the tender or, you know, frankly, like just doing a lot of polishing the boat because all these yachts are, you know, these pieces works of art and they take a lot of maintenance just to sort of polish them every day. So that sort of thing, but it's a great way to get started. Uh, Generally speaking, the pay is pretty decent and the uh, fringe benefits are pretty cool in that you're traveling around the world. Um, but, you know, there is some cons to that, too, in that you're living in pretty close quarters within the um, the crew quarters. And when you're on the yacht, you're kind of, you're on 24-7. You know, the hours can be long and, the, you know, it's got a unique, it takes a unique person um, to thrive in that environment. But it's cool if you're into adventure and seeing new places and open to new experiences and meeting people from all over the world. For sure, yeah. Do you ever meet yacht owners who live entirely on on their boat? Um, not really. Okay. I mean, they're so rich; they have like so many different places to live. You know what I mean? They're on the yacht, then they're in New York, then they're in, uh, you know, an island somewhere in the French Polynesia. Wow. Um, rarely do they just live on the yacht and nothing else. But honestly, I mean, my interaction as a journalist is much more uh, with the people who build the yachts and service the yachts and, um, you know, kind of sell and marketing the, and market the yachts uh, more than the owners. The owners at that level, they're pretty private as I would be too. You know what I mean? Um, there have been people that uh, kind of like the notoriety and let me interview them and write stories about them uh, in Forbes and other places. But there's a lot of, yacht owners that don't even want their yacht to be shown to the public ever, which is, you know, kind of cool too. Yeah. So like, what is, when you're, when you're writing about, um, when you're writing about a yacht, what is the lens that you're looking at it through? Is it, cause I've seen on your blog, like there are yachts that have built in pools in them and jacuzzis and like, right. they, they look like mansions. Like, are you looking for new technological innovations and, you know, um, like year by year, the new things that get added to new yachts, like what, what specifically are you looking for? So I'll, this sounds cheesy, but I just want to share the love. Like I feel so grateful and so, um, in awe and 
in being able to do what I do and see the things that I see and, and have the experiences that I'm able to have on these yachts and on private planes and all these things. And I honestly, I just want to share how cool it is with people that may be in their cubes or maybe wherever um, to sort of show them like, Hey, check this out. Not like, Hey, check me out. Or even, Hey, check out this rich guy that, that can afford it. But it's more like, Hey, check this guy, this out. And I'll tell you some of the, really wealthy people that I've met and that I've spent time with, they're actually really cool people who want to do exactly that. They want to sort of, Hey, look at all of this amazing opportunity we have to see the world, participate and see, um, you know, parts of nature that are truly spectacular, form relationships with people, um, you know, try to help local communities and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm not really looking at a technical, aspects of the yacht so much as opposed to like, well, this has a submarine on it or this has a really crazy beach club or something like that. But it's more in the, um, gee whiz, isn't this amazing kind of lens. Okay. That's really cool. Um, it's fun. It's totally fun. Like, I mean, I don't need to be an expert, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? But, and I, and I've just realized, or I've learned over the years that, um, People want to people want to know what it's like on the inside of a 450 foot yacht, you know. I mean, I want to know what's on the inside of a 450 foot yacht, you know. And um, being able to do that in a way that uh, shows what the owner and the builders are sort of comfortable with me showing, but at the same time shows gives people who obviously can't afford to ever own or even step on foot something like that, they can actually see what it's like and you know, kind of. Uh, wonder what I'd like, what it would be like if I was there. I love that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, there's a couple experiences that you've had that I want to uh, ask you about. Um, can you tell me about the the trip to Antarctica? Because that looked incredible. Yes. All right. So the most amazing thing about spending 12 days on a private super yacht in Antarctica is the air. The air was, the air is different in Antarctica. Mm. It smells different. It tastes different. It's, it's cleaner. And uh, I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but that's the the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, when, when you ask me about Antarctica, I mean, yes, there's amazing ice formations. There's amazing wildlife. We had where I was on a private 180 foot long yacht. Uh, there was a, 12 guests and 22 crew uh, because you need a lot of crew down there. It's, it's pretty intense um, down there because it's not like you can pull into a Harbor that has all the facilities and everything. You're really self-sufficient. Yachts need to be really self-sufficient. Anything that's down there needs to be really self-sufficient. So um, we're down there and um, we get into the Zodiacs and we have these like private whale watches where the whales kind of come up and brush along the Zodiac. And, uh, the yacht has a, a naturalist guy that's able to sort of show us and all the different wildlife and talk sort of educatedly about the different types of penguins and the different types of whales or, um, whatever we have the, the lions, this, um, the seals that we're seeing. Um, and then there was one day where we were just, uh, it was kind of a peaceful, calm, uh, windless day. And we took the Zodiac very slowly up to the edge of this glacier. 
And um, there was a sound, and it was like a sound of like bubbles popping, kind of like, kind of like bubbles in a, a seltzer water sort of popping. And it was, it was all around, and it was kind of echoing all around us, uh, you know, at the base of this very tall edge of a glacier. And I asked the guy, they're like, what is that? What is that sound? And um, he told me that that's the sound of um, the ice melting and the air being released from the ice that's melting. Uh. And that in and of itself is amazing. But then he told me that some of this ice is tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years old. So, you know, this ice is being released into the air that's free pollution, (laughs) or maybe there's volcanic pollution in it or whatever, but, you know, like this um, kind of vintage air. Uh, So... And, and not only that, but just to being in one of the last wild places in, in the world. And even that, even Antarctica isn't really wild anymore. There's, there was cruise ships down there and there will, there's who knows what will happen with cruise ships, but they will be there again. Um, that was another thing that I thought was pretty, I was really grateful to be able to do was just to sort of see what true wildness really is in the lap of luxury, of course, too. Wow. Do you, uh, when you go to Antarctica, do you leave from Argentina or do you sail? <laughs> well, yeah, see, this is the thing. So as a sailor, um, sailing around Cape Horn is like a, a rite of passage. It's the southernmost point uh, of land that goes down into the Southern Ocean. It's uh, got a very long history of um, just dramatic storms and all that. And um uh, the passage from uh, Argentina to where we were sort of picking up the yacht on the uh, the Antarctic archipelago uh, is generally a two-day passage through the, you know, basically through the stormiest waters in the world. Um, but instead of us doing that passage, we flew from Puente Arenas, which is in Argentina, southern Argentina, right down near Patagonia, and or Chile, and um, we landed on this amazing gravel runway um, on the one of the Shetland Islands. Or I think it was like Prince George Island or something like that. And then you know got onto the super yacht there and saved two full days of uh, really stormy seas, so we could be you know an hour in. You know, took us an hour to get to the really prime cruising areas. So that was another thing that you know these luxury trips. Um, afford people is that um convenience and time saving yeah and then you know i've i've seen a bit uh of content about you know uh scientists and researchers who are on antarctica and they're eating you know campbell's tomato soup that right has, it's got right. A, a shelf life of 10 years but i'm assuming on the yacht <laughs> right. you're, you're eating differently <laughs> yeah this is the opposite of that i mean uh <laughs> For better or for worse, I mean, it's pretty amazing to experience, but it's truly the opposite of that. Uh, it's 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 a uh, you know private research, it's private exploration, um, as opposed to uh, more scientific. When I was a kid, I uh, I really loved the original. I guess there's only maybe there's only one. Uh, Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. I used to watch yeah. that with my dad, and this this reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. It's funny that you mentioned that because um, my one of my more recent uh, trips has been to go to the Bahamas, and um, I've gotten involved with um, 
a guy who's um, looking for uh, treasure, you know, sort of the the classic Spanish galleons that uh, went down um, in between South, you know, taking gold from South America back to Spain. And that's the full on diving and submarines and all that too. So you're absolutely right. That's incredible. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, There's another, so you wrote about a gentleman named Joshua Slocum. And I would love if you could just explain who that was um, and how you, I don't know if you were really recreating his trip, but you, you also went on the Strait of Magellan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Joshua Slocum uh, was basically the first yachtsman, the first sort of regular guy in his own boat to sail around the world by himself, as opposed to either um, a a commercial ship, uh, sailing ship, or a you know man of war type ship sailing around the world. He was just a guy from Massachusetts, oddly enough, who uh, wanted to see the world, and he was a very experienced sailor and he set out for, uh, to sail around the world in like 1890, late 1890s. And uh, he sailed around the world. Um, and he wrote a book about his adventures and, um, it was, it's something that I think uh, almost every, actually, I'm sure every long distance sailor knows who Joshua Slocum is and is inspired by him in some way, because he was the first guy to sort of say, Hey, you know, I just want to go and have an adventure, um, a self-sufficient adventure, um, and just to see the world to like, kind of, you know, why do you climb the mountain? Because it's there. He was the first guy to like, you know, why do you sail around the world? Because it's there. And that's, there's all, you know, every, every sailor that I know from then till now has had at least offshore long distance sailor, um, has a little bit of that in them, which I think is cool. And the, the Strait of Magellan cuts through Chile, right? Yes. So that the Strait of Magellan um, was uh, or is not necessarily a shortcut, but it's a little bit easier passage to get around uh, Cape Horn. So instead of going out around the very, very, very tip of South America, there's a strait that um, it's pretty far south and it's pretty treacherous. Um, And at the time that he was sailing through there, it had natives that weren't so friendly and, um, you know, all that. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty treacherous and historic kind of piece of, um, you know, part of the world in a, uh, a passage to uh, let you go from the Pacific to the Atlantic without going around the horn. Yeah. It's like something you'd read in an adventure story as a kid. Totally. It's, it's, <laughs> it's quintessential adventure story stuff. Wow. So, yeah. That's really cool. There's um, lots of adventures out there, my man. You know, we all can have adventures anytime we want. But it's, you know, it's hard to. Yeah, I mean, do you, so you've done so many things. Do you still, you know, uh, bucket list is weird probably to say for, for the type of life that you live right now, but like are there still things or, or places that, that you dream to go to that you haven't been? No. Wow. And it's not because, no, no it's oh. not because, um, I mean, like when I was growing up, and, um, you know, in my teens and into my early twenties, like I was at first, I was driven to ski. Like I just had to ski and I went to school in Colorado and I skied 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 so much that I was like, okay, I've skied enough. And then, um, when I got out of college, I just, 
I, I met a girl and we sailed from uh, Wellfleet, Massachusetts to um, Martha's Vineyard over the summer. You know, there was a bunch of us. And um, I, I knew from like the 30 minutes into that trip that sailing, you know, was something that I really, that I wanted to do with my life. Like I wanted to go and sail from one place to another and ex- experience the world and see the world on a boat. Uh, and I knew also that I did not want to be with that girl. <laughs> and she knew that she didn't want to be with me. Um, so, and, and I was compelled to do that. And I, I, I lived on a little boat. I owned a little boat. I thought I was going to be the guy to, um, you know, kind of follow in Joshua Slocum's footsteps and actually sail my own boat around the world. Uh, but the boat that I ended up buying was just truly, it was too small and it was too um, scary and dangerous um, to do on my own. And that, that's how I ended up taking a job, uh, a delivery job on that yacht that was going from Newport down to the Caribbean. Um, and that's how I got sort of involved with the yachting. Um, but it was, um, you know, something that uh, I've done so much now that I've been able to like, be like, okay, I've got all, I'm, I'm very grateful to say that I, I don't need to sail around the world in order to sort of like satisfy some sort of compulsion, um, which is a pretty neat thing. I mean, I'm grateful to have, uh, the invitations that I get. Um, and I'm very curious and I'm very enthusiastic. And that's something that I would encourage anyone who's listening who might want to do something like what I'm doing is to be curious and to be enthusiastic. Um, that stuff doesn't cost any money. And that's probably propelled my career and my travels, maybe more than any skill that I have for sure. You know? Um, so, I mean, I'm grateful to have all these invites. And I'm able to go do all these things. And it's almost like um, I'm, I'm kind of bowled over when um, I'm getting invited to do stuff that I couldn't even conceive of being compelled to do. So how cool is that? Yeah, it's cool that it's still cool to you. Like I can, yeah. I can, I can hear it in well, your because voice. I, yeah, because I, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm just sharing love. I'm not like trying to, you know, kind of uh, write an investigative report about something or I'm not trying to make it, you know, honestly, I'm not really trying to make a ton of money. just trying to kind of make enough to, um, you know, support my family. Um, So, I mean, you know, it's, it's cool. It's cool to be invited to go to these things and to um, be able to get behind the velvet rope. When I was in Vermont, so um, my girlfriend and I were traveling around and, you know, we met your mom and she didn't know that I, you know, have a podcast or anything like that. I hadn't said it. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks that don't know what a podcast is. Uh, but she just started talking about you and I was like, Whoa, like this sounds like somebody I would love to talk to. And one of the things she was talking about that I've since, uh, read through some of your writing was the London to Monaco bike trip. I'd love if you could share this. So close to my heart. So the London to Monaco bike ride. So um, that's it's been going on for four years. I've been involved with it since the beginning. It was started by a uh, uh, a charity in the UK that was trying to raise money to help save the oceans, and not just save the oceans, but really specifically, tactically um, create marine sanctuaries. So uh, places that um, have a really um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, uh, fisheries that are in trouble. Uh, creating these marine sanctuaries so the fishing is not allowed there, so the fish stock 
can um, rebuild itself. So the baby fish can grow and be, um, you know, unmolested by fishermen anyway. So um, they had the brilliant idea to um, get involved with the Supion industry because there's a lot of money in the Supion industry and there's a lot of vested interest in making sure the ocean is clean and making sure the ocean is healthy um, within the Supion industry to, um, you know, help raise money so they could do these programs. And they partnered with a, a yacht designer uh, named Andrew Winch. And um, he's also um, incredibly successful. He designs his, his firm, this 150-person firm, designs super yachts in private planes and uh, one-of-a-kind architecture for these, you know, billionaires, truly. Um, so he got involved with the idea of, okay, let's do this London to Monaco bike ride to raise money for the Blue Marine Foundation. And why London to Monaco? Well, the firm, um, Andrew Winch's firm is in London, and then the Monaco Yacht Show, like I spoke about earlier, um, takes place in September. So the idea was, we'll ride there, we'll have 10 days, it's 1,000 miles, we'll ride 100 miles a day, and we'll have 10 days to, um, you know, talk about, or raise awareness and, you know, just like any charity ride would do. Um, and also kind of bring the Supion industry together to unify, you know, unify the Supion industry behind a cause. And um, I just love it. I mean, just, I'm a cyclist and, um, you know, riding through the French countryside and riding for um, 10 days in a row and, and bonding with people from all over um, the Supiad industry, Supiad manufacturers, Supiad designers, a few owners and sort of ecologically minded rich people, and for lack of a better word. Um, and then you arrive in Monaco after this amazing ride where we raised hundreds of thousands of pounds to the foundation. And then you're in Monaco and it's like, out come the blue blazers and the tuxedos and the glamour and the Supiads and the, um, and, you know, the business of uh, the Monaco Yacht Show. So um, it's something that I've always loved. We, unfortunately, it was canceled this year because of COVID. Uh, but, I mean, they've ra- we've helped raise over a million, you know, we, I mean, the Blue Marine Foundation and the, and the ride has helped raise uh, over a million pounds to help save these marine fisheries and um, really sort of raise the awareness for all these ecological problems that the country that the world has within the super yacht industry where there's a lot of money involved and it's fun it's just super fun i would imagine there's a pretty high degree of difficulty doing that yeah well you think so so yes and no first of all it's completely supported so um there's um someone takes care of all the hotels someone takes care of all the food um, there's bike mechanics. There's even a masseuse, massage people like to do really quick, like 10 minute massages after your hundred miles of riding. And more than anything else is it's only, uh, we, we do like 25 miles and then we'll stop for coffee and then 25 miles and stop for lunch and 25 miles and another coffee and then 25 miles and you're at the next place. And the beauty of it is that's all you have to do. All you have to do is ride. You know, there's no real, you can't do much work. You know, you can do your cell phone a little bit and you can do social media a little bit, but it's so purifying because it's just, and it's really hard. I mean, physically, uh, you know, hard, you know, you're riding up the Alps and you're riding for hours and hours every day for day after day. Um, but you're also doing it with a bunch of really cool like-minded people as well. And, um, 
there's a whole neat, cool factor that comes from the, the bonds that are created when you're doing this mutually difficult thing together. Oh, for sure. You know, I was thinking, and uh, I, I don't ask this to challenge. I'm, I'm really curious. You know, I've, I've read about the, um, the cruise line industry and how destructive that can be to nature. And I would think that a super yacht likely needs uh, a lot of fuel to keep going, right? And a lot of resources. That's is, absolutely right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Is, and, um, and, and the super yacht industry is very aware of that, and they're doing as much as they can to try to mitigate that. I mean, yes, there's still going to be a lot of fuel involved and all that, but they're coming up with diesel electric propulsion systems that are... 50% more efficient than they were 10 years ago and coming up with all sorts of um, innovations, technological innovations that are uh, designed to help reduce carbon footprint and just ecological footprint. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, they're still big yachts, but they're, they're, it's hard to compare them to cruise ships because some of them are as big as a cruise ship, but they only have 12 people on board okay. as opposed to a cruise ship that's going to have 5,000, you know? So that's a whole different kettle of fish yeah okay that makes sense i i mean uh, i'm really a novice with the science here but yeah I'll, no no, no. and believe me i think it's a valid point and these are the things that um the all industries need to be uh addressing yeah all right i got a, a couple of uh, just a couple of fun ones for you you know i mentioned yeah. um I mentioned that in one of your pictures, I, I saw a, a built-in pool and I was just like, wow, that's, it's a pool on the ocean. Like that is incredible. Um, <laughs> right. Can, can you Every one of these big yachts has a pool. Every one of them. And not only a pool, but a, but a hot tub as well and a sauna. And uh, some of them have squash courts and basketball courts and Whoa. places to park the private submarine. Okay. So I was going to ask, like, what is what is the craziest thing that you've seen? Like, I don't know if there's helipads and stuff like that. Like what's the craziest thing that you can think of that you saw on a yacht? Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's funny that it, it, it all becomes crazy in a way and then it all becomes kind of commonplace. You know what I mean? Um, the craziest things, um, uh, I haven't seen personally, you know, these are just the things that I've heard people talking about. There's a boat, there's a yacht called Dilbar and it's, um, 450 feet long, 460 feet long. And, um, it's not the, it's, it's not the longest yacht in the world, but it's, um, the largest yacht by volume, meaning it's just, it's really, really got enormous interior. And I haven't seen this personally, but I heard, and it, I mean, I know from the designers, designers, it does have it. It's just, I've never seen it. It has an indoor swimming pool, Olympic size indoor swimming pool. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> It makes you it makes you scratch your head, right? Yeah. Like, why on earth would you have an indoor, like you know, basically uh, an, an indoor swimming pool on a yacht when you're in the south of France or wherever? But then, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but a lot of these guys, security is an issue for them. You know, these people that own these yachts, and um, some of the largest yachts are the ones that are the most. Um, the most, uh, the, the, the outdoor spaces are the most hidden. Oh, um, I didn't but, even think of that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but you know, like I mean, the, the yacht or the, the, the another thing that I think is interesting and, and something that's happening now and is going to continue in the future is a lot of these super yachts 
have what are called shadow vessels. So a shadow vessel is, you know, let's say you have a yacht that's 200 feet long and it's gorgeous and it has all this craftsmanship and all that um, living space. Um, and then instead of dedicating a bunch of the space from that yacht for the submarine and for all of the quote-unquote toys, um, some of these guys, actually a lot of them, they just have a second yacht that's like 180 feet long. It's basically like a military transport yacht. Very, very sophisticated and very cool looking, but basically it's like an aircraft, a very small scale aircraft carrier that has a very long deck that can carry two helicopters and a submarine and um, you name it, every conceivable boat. And that follows the yacht around. So um, the, the main yacht is just all about the, the, the living space. And then the, <laughs> the shadow yacht is all about the stuff that goes along with it. Wow. That's incredible. It, it's absurd to see. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it boggles the mind. Wow. Are there, um, you know, I, I, I'm not just saying this cause you're on here, but I, I quite like your writing. It's, uh, it's really fun. Like you can, it's, it's the same as, as how you're talking. There's like an infectiousness to your excitement about this type of stuff. Um, I'm wondering if there are any writers in particular who influenced you or that you try to emulate. Ah, that's a good question. Um, you know, yes and no. I mean, I've tried to emulate writers in the past, and I always ended up the right. Like, I, I developed as a writer um, by the school of hard knocks. You know, I mean, I thought when I was a journal, when I was working at the magazines that I had to be like write a certain way, and I and I and I tried to write a certain way. I tried to write the way that I thought that journalism teacher thought you know wanted me to write or was the what quote unquote the, the right way to write. And, every, and, I, and I, I wasn't a good writer. Like, I wasn't able to do that. And I only really started to kind of blossom as a writer and um, be comfortable with what I was doing was when I um, stopped trying to, you know, follow some sort of preconceived notion of what good writers were or good writers did. I mean, uh, and I read a lot of novels, um, and I read The New Yorker. So, I mean, the writing in The New Yorker, um, from a technical standpoint is the gold standard. Um, so, um, you know, any writer in the New Yorker, I mean, I'm always trying to emulate, um, those guys just in being factually, um, correct and being readable and being, um, interesting. You know I mean? I think part of being a writing, maybe the hardest part of being a writer is making sure that you're always, um, sharing interesting stuff. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and being really, uh, I don't want to say critical, but I mean, uh, I'm pretty good at um, uh, looking at what I've done and pretty shameless with cutting stuff out. You know what I mean? Like I'm not married to stuff that I've written. If I, if I write it and I just, it doesn't seem to work, I have no trouble cutting it. And that's, I think, another really useful thing that I've learned over time. Um, but so the New Yorker writers are inspirations to me, all of them. And then um, novel writers like... Um, I'm just, I'm reading a prayer for Owen Meany right now, which is, um, John, what's his name? Uh, I gotta go get it. And then, um, Salman Rushdie. I've been, I've been just really sort of digging the way Salman Rushdie tells stories. And that's the thing. So I'm not a writer. I'm a storyteller, mm -hmm. you know, um, John Irving, 
John Irving Prefero, meaning he's a storyteller, you know, and he weaves in facts and humor and um, himself. You know, that's the thing that um, maybe that's the thing that you, you kind of pick up on is that my, I write about myself, you know what I mean? And I'm, and I try to be courageous about sharing stuff that I might be uh, a little personal or uh, might feel a little funny. I feel like if I can write something and it might help someone else um, by sharing something that's a little bit intimate, um, painful or whatever, um, I do that. And that seems to work. Would you ever consider writing a book about your adventures? Uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, um, I love the magazine medium, you know what I mean? I love writing stories that are under 2000 words. Mm. Like, I, I mean, I'm good at it. I'm really good at it because I've done it my whole career. You know what I mean? And I've tried to write longer stuff and, um, uh, I just, I'm not as good at writing longer stuff as I am writing at these sort of, you know, self-contained beginning, middle and end magazine length stories. Um, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I know that, um, some of the New Yorker writers that I've been reading, um, as they get old, like that's the thing with writing too, is that, you know, it's not like, uh, being a professional athlete or something like that. I mean, I can write until I die, you know, and they do. And it keeps them young. It keeps their brains activated. Um, but so that could be a project for, um, you know, as they get older, who knows? Okay. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen you doing <laughs> incredible things, right? And the people that get to, to read your stories and to follow you on social media get to see you living this incredible life. I mean, you, you're, you're in the Bahamas. You're doing um, training missions with the Coast Guard. You're on these incredible mansions at sea. And in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's like representative of the Matrix almost. Like you've... You've, exactly. You're yeah, right. you, you, you've, <laughs> you've, you're right. You're right. Well, you've totally. cracked it. I'm like in the matrix a little bit, and then I come out of the matrix. And well, I think that's the thing too that's important for me to uh, for. That's what I remember, and I th I'd like to think it's what kind of works for me is that I mean I have other colleagues and other writers that kind of have the similar sort of beat. You know, they write about yachts and they write about super, um, you know, luxury private islands and all of luxury travel and they get a little bit full of themselves. Um, and they kind of think that they are, uh, maybe more than just some writer that's been sent to write about it, you know? And that's for me, that's something I've always remembered is that I haven't made enough money to afford to buy any of this stuff, nor do I really aspire to it. Um, I mean, my job is to sort of tell the story about it and tell the story about the people. Um, and then to go back to my life, which I just really like, it's, it's not a super yacht life. I have a, you know, a wonderful house and a wonderful family and, um, you know, all that stuff. Um, and I wouldn't trade it. I would, I wouldn't want to, you know, be a multi, I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I wouldn't want to be a multi-billionaire because that comes with a lot of, there's a lot of responsibility and stress and complication and weirdness that comes with a lot of money. Uh, as well as with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, ease and, um, the ability to do some pretty cool stuff too. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you answered it for me. I was, I was thinking like, um, how you stay grounded because yeah, you, you need to move between, right. between that world and 
<laughs> the regular world right now, which is incredibly chaotic. Right. Um, but I, I have seen you write about family and I, I really appreciate that stuff because you, you do bring it back to like, well, well, here's what's really important in my life. Um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's really important too. And I mean, you know, I've had debates with people like, you know, um, uh, just, you know, how can you write about yachts when there's people dying and, and all that sort of stuff. And I get that. And there's a, that's a valid point. Um, there's a couple of things that I come back to. And one is that I, I know that these yachts and these luxury things support entire ecosystems, ecosystems of people whose, whose livelihood depend upon building these yachts and, and doing all the stuff that I write about. So um, I don't know if I'm trying to justify it to myself or more just sort of kind of sort of say, Hey, you know, there's, there's good and bad in everything, you know? Um, but I know that if I can, you know, the, the work that I'm doing, if that propels um, the yacht business along, so more people who are just working stiff like me can have jobs and families and stuff and live a good life. Then I feel like I'm kind of contributing something, you know, um, without ever, um, getting too full of myself. Cause, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm just very grateful to be doing the stuff that I do. And I, and I don't lose sight of that ever. It's funny. I think I... that's the key really is this, the gratitude, you know, and that can translate to anything, you know I mean? Um, you want to be with people that are grateful for where they are, not people who are bitching about where they are or where they're not. Where can we uh, send people, Bill, if they want to go read your writing, learn more about you, follow you? Let's let's plug oh, some yeah. stuff. Okay, so um, so my handles for all my social media stuff is Billy Swizzle. So at Billy Swizzle for Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. And um, there's a story behind that. So when I was working at Sale Magazine, um, I was in this very bad dad band, you know, like <laughs> I was 40 years old and I was a drummer in a band with other dads that were 40 years old and we were playing like rock music and trying to be cool and not succeeding. And, um, and one of the guys wanted to like, I'm so old. They wanted to start a MySpace page for the pay for the band. And we were going to go and we played some bars and stuff like that. And, I was really concerned and nervous that my professional life, you know, being a respected yachting journalist um, would um, conflict with my other life, which was kind of like, you know, being a goofy rock star. And I would wear wigs and like sunglasses and really kind of, um, you know, kind of just have fun with the idea of play, being a rock star. Anyway, um, so when the, when the band wanted to have a MySpace page, I didn't want to have my name, Bill Springer, as a member of the band in case someone Googled me and saw that I wasn't just this respected yachting journalist, but I was also this goofy guy in the band. I just, I just felt like that was, I had to keep those two things separate. So I came up with a name of Billy Swizzle. Just, you know, it just kind of rolled off the tongue. And um, so that was my name in the band, and that's been my kind of handle ever since. So any social media that if you're interested in, seeing yachts and um, uh, luxury travel stuff and my family stuff too. You can find me on um, social media with uh, at Billy Swizzle. And then um, the two other sort of main uh, sort of places where I'm publishing these days would be Forbes. So it's Forbes.com backslash Bill Springer. And that'll bring you, I write seven stories a month about generally about super yachts 
I just published one today about the the way um, super yachts and Formula One go together, which was a really fun story to write, and I hope to be going to some Formula One races later this year and early next year um, in Abu Dhabi and in Monaco um, because Formula One is very cool and yachts are very cool. So that would be Forbes. And then um, Swizzle Media, which is um, sort of the backbone of everything that I do. And it's swizzlesportsmedia.com. Excellent. I'll have all that stuff in the notes so everyone can just click it. Um, I want to say thank you so much, Bill. This is um, a real pleasure and it's, it's a unique episode for me and it's, it's a look into uh, an industry and a topic that I haven't covered yet. So uh, I'm really uh, grateful that you uh, came on today. So thanks, man. Well, I'm totally grateful too. And please don't um, scare your readers off that may be backpackers because um, you know, you, you don't have to be, you know, uh, you don't have to be rich to actually travel in, the, in those circles. Hey everyone, that's a wrap. Episode 191 is in the books and we are just a couple away, well, a little more than a couple, but pretty close to 200. I think that's really exciting. So thank you to Bill for coming on this episode. Thanks to Patty for setting this up. And Voyagers, thank, thanks to all of you for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. Stay tuned very soon for an episode about tamales and Mexican cuisine and a really, really cool chef and business owner named Fernando. That one's coming up next. All right, folks. Thanks again. And as always, please, 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 please take care of each other. Peace. Peace.